Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's Roxanne Durhodge. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Uh, today, I have a colleague, Emily Nichols, and Emily and I are uh, privileged to be able to uh, be members of the uh, Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. Emily, welcome uh, uh, to Authentic Living with Roxanne. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. I was actually able to spend some in-person time with Emily uh, this uh Last weekend, where uh, the we had our uh, social for uh, caps, like we call it, in my backyard, which was amazing, just to catch up with everyone. So Emily brings an amazing background, and um, I, th- I often say that um, it's amazing that we have the younger generation coming up, um, and some of the things that she may have potentially or will be touching on in her career. Um, I've probably lived with um, for a lot longer, being just a wee bit older than Emily. Um, and today, <laughs> Emily is a professional um, a keynote speaker and a professional engineer. Um, so one of uh, the the fields that uh, impacts what she does with her uh, speaking today. And she's the owner of a company called Technical skills for professional people. Am I getting that wrong, Emily? <laughs> Human skills for technical people. Oh my goodness. I, I just said to her, make sure keep me on track. And of course I went off track. So Emily, welcome, welcome, welcome. And I, I'm, I'm excited because Emily did something which most of us as speakers are going to do or are scared to do or will be doing hopefully soon. Um, she did a TED Talk, which was amazing. And we will put the... Um, the link in the show notes, but Emily, let's talk, let's start there because I think let's just dive in on the deep end of the pool and, and, and talked a little bit about what made you think that you needed to share the, share the message um, that you shared with your Ted talk, maybe start, maybe tell people a little bit about it and then we'll dive right in. Sure. So the title of the Ted talk is what if we didn't have to be one of the guys and that talk, I, I've been telling people it's been on my mind for months before the TEDx actually happened, but on my heart for years. And it was a slow realization that I came to in my career because, um, you know, I was quite comfortable being one of the guys in the early years. I was quite happy to, you know, do what I needed to, to fit in and blend in. And it didn't even really seem like that much of an inconvenience. Um, but, uh, and, and I expected equal treatment. And I would say that in the early years, I mostly got it. But over time, these small ways that, you know, you don't quite feel part of the group, you get a little bit left out, it kind of adds up. And um, there was a turning point, you know, in 2015, I was interviewed for National Engineering Month. And I mentioned this in my TED talk. They asked me, Emily, what is your dream for women in engineering in the next 25 years? And I thought like, holy cow, 
why should there have to be a dream for women in engineering at all? Like I didn't ask to be a woman in engineering. I just wanted to be an engineer. And, uh, you know, I don't even want to think about needing to needing a 25 year time frame to, to get to gender parity. I mean, it's just something that we should have now and, and we should have equal treatment now and uh, we should be able to be ourselves at work without having to be one of the guys now. So, you know, being interviewed in 2015 kind of got my mind a little bit on this thinking and then yeah things evolved and actually the the catalyst was that TEDx McMaster U decided that their theme for TEDx this year was going to be legacy and you know when we think about legacy we often think that it needs to be something big we need to have a lot of money we need to do a lot of philanthropy but I knew that with this topic I had something that would allow people to create a legacy one conversation at a time, simply by changing their words. So let's talk a little bit about your background. You talk a little bit about it, and I loved your story about your mom. <clears throat> and um, obviously, you were seeing um, females in in a very powerful way from a very very young age. So tell us a little bit about kind of your inspiration. And I could picture your mom in her muckalucks, you know, you know, driving the tractor with three, three little girls kind of, and you were being like the little ducklings that were kind of imprinting kind of the, some of the things that you would have seen with her. But tell, tell us a little bit about your mom and um, the impact or potential kind of correlation between what you do today and kind of um, the role that you saw your mom play. Sure. So uh, I come from a farming family and uh, I grew up on the same farm where my mom grew up. Actually, we moved uh, back to the home farm when I was about eight years old and we farmed as a family. So there really weren't too many gender roles to observe, really, when it came to the farm work. My mom and dad were both out there doing what needed to be done. And, you know, you talk about my mom driving the tractor. The, the visual that comes to my mind is when it was harvest time. And, you know, back when we used to take the grain to town in, in wagons, um, my mom would drive wagons to town to take the grain to the elevator. And the only other people in the lineup there at the elevator were men. Um, uh, you know, and I just, I, I always felt a sense of pride that, you know, my mom could do anything. Um, and she had grown up also with only sisters. So you see, this was a this was the second generation where there actually weren't any boys around. So, so as a young kid, I didn't really begin to understand that there were expected differences in terms of gender roles uh, at work um, until, gosh, I don't know, later on in elementary school, I suppose. Wow, amazing. And likewise, you know, my background is I'm, uh, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, very, you know, very traditional kind of situation. My mom stayed at home with uh, us and my dad was a, a, you know, a high level executive most of my life. But I was always told, you know, there's five, there was five girls and one boy that anything that I wanted to do was possible. So for me, you know, like you, I grew up with all my male cousins, you know, climbing trees and, <laughs> you know, making ex experiments with things in the backyard and contraptions and stuff like that. But, but also in my formative year, um, I went to a, a school, which was an old girls school and it was academically driven. It was based on your marks that you went to this high school. And 
they made us believe that anything was possible. And in the British system, was it because it turned out it, you know, it was uh, under the British system, we had houses that we all belonged to. And these were all rooted to your sports days. And, um, and they were all named after famous women. So, oh, so cool. you know, at, at 11, here you are, you know, kind of learning the possibilities um, that, and of course, my, you know, Caribbean, oftentimes I was very, very um, traditional, right, in their roles, but I was being exposed like you to some things, even though my mom stayed home um, with us, our brother, you know, oftentimes had to compete with us because it was five of five girls and one boy, right? So we would make him do the things we wanted to do. So it's interesting how some of those formative little um, visions in your brain or even exposure is what it does. And, and then ultimately some of the career that you picked, which was in engineering. Mm-hmm. So let's, t- let's dive into language because I love this. I'm, you know, um, I'm not just saying this, but I, you know, because we are professional speakers, we have to look at people speak. Um, so I sat down the other day and got quiet and spent the time looking at this TED talk. Um, and the message that bore through was the impact of language. So I want you to share a little bit about how language impacts the capacity for us to move forward in reference to the arena of parity. Sure. Um, So the premise is that language is a signal to everyone around us about what we're thinking. And it's also a reflection of the expectations we have in our minds. So, uh, you know, my TED talk is about gendered language. So let's talk about the word guys. That is kind of one of the focal points of my talk. Um, That word gets thrown around a lot in our society and not even just in, in fields like engineering and manufacturing, but I mean everywhere, because probably Roxanne, the last time you went to a restaurant, servers are notorious for this. Hey guys, how are we doing tonight, guys? Like, you know, and it's, um, so you do hear it everywhere and it can seem like, oh, well, it's harmless. Like maybe some of your listeners are even thinking that like, okay, so, so what does that matter? A server greets you as, hey guys, at the restaurant. I think there are lots of scenarios where we accept it as being a gender neutral word and, you know, that's fine, fair enough. But when you're working in a factory, as I have uh, for many years, and you are the only or one of the few women, um, this word starts to be an emblem uh, of the ways that you get uh, kind of ignored a little bit or or left out. Um, You know, you hear about manpower meetings and man hours, and there are lots of um, there are lots of assumptions made there. Uh, One of the places I worked we were always trying to fill each role or all the shifts, you know, with guys. I need six guys for this. I need four guys over there, you know. Um, and and so when I say that our words are a, a reflection of our thinking, most of us, when we use guys in that context, where the roles have been traditionally filled by men, then that word allows our brains to continue to expect those roles to be filled by men, right? And um, and so. It, it reflects the way that we're thinking. It, it doesn't open our minds to, I say in my TED talk, the full spectrum of people that could do the job. Um, and so I started to notice how that word guys got thrown around in terms of filling positions, in terms of uh, you know who can 
finish a special project? Who has the special skills for something? I need a guy. Do you know a guy? You know, these kind of things come up a lot. Um, and so in my talk, I'm trying to show people, first of all, what is the feeling when you're hearing that word and it doesn't really include you? Second of all, what is the, uh, what's the bigger implication? And then uh, third, what can we do instead, right? So the bigger implication, I like to remind people that, that our words, well, again, another of the lines from my TED talk, words shape our world, right? So it's really this connection between language and actual concrete concerns, like do we have personal protective equipment that fits? Now, for some of your listeners, that might seem like a pretty big leap, but think about a woman in construction and manufacturing where really they are one of the only or one of the few um, on the site or in the plant. Personal protective equipment tends not to fit women very well. I'm talking about things like safety glasses and respirators and coveralls and boots, all the, all the things. Um, and if safety equipment doesn't fit well, it's not safe. Right. Um, and so I'm just trying to make this connection between when we say guys all the time, when we throw that word around all the time, what do we end up ordering and keeping in stores? The personal protective equipment that fits men. And what kind of a building do we end up building? The one that has the washrooms and change rooms and facilities for men. Um, you know, in our public buildings these days, we actually have regulations uh, telling us how many washrooms we need for well, in the past, we would have said for both genders, but you know, we're, we're managing that in different ways these days, but there are actually no regulations that say in private uh, buildings, whether we have to build a washroom or a change room for women. And I've worked in several that didn't have equal facilities uh, for women. So it's not, it's, it starts with our words and certainly that gives us that feeling of inclusion, but our words are then connected to these other concrete concerns that we can actually point to in the world. You know, it's interesting, right? Um, so I was in uh, an executive in health and wellness for uh, 20 years. And I, I'll give you a scenario, uh, Emily. And then, of course, I'm an executive. I'm on bid teams. I was in business development and account management. And uh, we went in to bid for, uh, let's say, the municipality uh, for their business. And I was the main person that was presenting. So I go in and, you know, you do your setup, everybody meets everybody. And I am the only woman on the bid team. And there's a, a board we're, we're presenting to that's 100% men. So as we're, we're coming in and I'm, you know, presenting and starting to present two of the men on, uh, that's on the board, start to talk to two of the men that are on the bid team. And the crossover was something related to a sport. And that derailed the entire presentation. And oh. what happened was, and we're talking, we're talking psychological services that we're talking for in a municipality, but it's interesting how you could see the shift sometimes um, in just a context of that. And, you know, it was, it's not a predominantly male dominated environment, it just happened to be that I was in a, on a, on a uh, pitch team that week that was predominantly male and how, you know, and then I had to basically corral the crowd back, even though I was the main focal point 
with all the information about the actual business. So it's interesting. It does play out to your point around presence. And then in turn, um, how things can just get shifted because of commonality. Mm-hmm. Of course, what was a sport? Let's guess. It was hockey because it's a Canadian company. And um, so that happens so much in, in other uh, arenas, but in a mostly male predominantly um, industry, I could, I can, in, I've been in those environments, but to work in it, I can see how language can create such a shift if we all start to think about what incremental role we can, each and every one of us can make in reference to language. So let's talk a little bit. You talked a little bit about um, the call to action for men in our lives. So what, tell me a little bit about what you think would be helpful for men that can kind of move, you know, the, the needle around further along in, in reference to language. Well, you know, it's like this, Roxanne, when people hear me or see me, a woman in engineering, speaking about being a woman in engineering, they often jump to the assumption that my target audience is women in engineering. And (laughs) I'm so glad you asked this question because my target audience is, is not primarily women in engineering. Certainly, I'm hearing from some women that this is an empowering message that they that it's, it's helpful, that they can relate, that they feel like they're not the only one, and that's fantastic. But, but I really think that, well, only less than 15% of practicing engineers in Canada are women. So if I was only speaking to the women, I can't move the needle that much, right? So that's the first thing, is that just by sheer numbers, we need, we need men to pay attention. We need men to participate in making uh, more gender equal workplaces and making women more welcome. Um, their words shape our world simply because of numbers. And it's, uh, you know, it's a challenge for men. They, they by and large, are in workplaces that work just fine for them. And sometimes I say that when business as usual works well for you, it's really hard to see how business as usual is not working well for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting with language is a, is a great place to start. Uh, dropping that word, guys, stop lumping the women in with the men. Uh, We don't necessarily want to uh, always just have to fit in and blend in. And let's not forget non-binary folks as well, right? We're not talking about a gender binary anymore. And I made that point in in my TED talk as well, because sometimes when people hear my message, they might be inclined to just revert to the old ladies and gentlemen uh, as a greeting, right? And so I wanted to remind people that that that's not very inclusive either. And if <laughs> for, a, for a demonstration of why, I guess the thing is that I'm advocating for less gendered language because I would love to see a less gendered workplace. You talk about being in this bid meeting and being the only woman in the room. And, you know, sometimes I find that if you know, the only woman in the room at work you know, we have challenges with that, like you described, but, but it's manageable. We can navigate it. Now, when the work world intersects with social occasions, now it gets really confusing. One sales trip that uh, I sometimes tell this story, I went on a sales trip. I was 
um, a senior leader in manufacturing and I went with the salesperson to visit a client and we arrived there the evening before we were going to have the meeting. So we all went out for dinner together. So now I'm meeting the client for the first time and it's dinner. So I decided I was going to wear a skirt that evening. And the assumption of the people we were meeting was that I was the salesman's wife, you know, and that's just that I find that really frustrating that, um, you're expected to, you know, at work, you can get by, you can dress kind of neutral or whatever, and you're not going to be wearing skirts in a factory. So no big deal there. But then in a social occasion, you know, the idea of being a woman, people kind of expect you to dress in a certain way. Uh, or if you do, then they, they decide that you're not part of the business. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Like it, it's, it's confusing to navigate. We just need, <laughs> we just need the men in our lives to, to, use inclusive language and open their minds to the many ways there are to be a woman or better yet, like let's leave gender out of it. There are lots of situations where we can leave gender out of it. Not, not that I'm saying we should leave gender behind because it's important when we talk about fit for personal protective equipment and, and things like that. But um, when we're thinking about a job and who can do the job or who we expect to be in the job, it, it doesn't need to be a gendered thing. Well, I remember uh, reading Malcolm Gladwell's book and he talked about maestros. I don't know if you've ever read that particular book. I forget which one it was in. And he talked about with maestros, right? Predominantly men. And what they did, he did, they did the social experiments where they actually started to, um, you know, put the maestros behind a white screen. And what happened was that a woman actually uh, was the maestro behind the screen that won and even after she won what happened is every, everybody was still referring to her as mister even though clearly she had blown everybody out of the water and she was trying to obviously put that point across that um if you see me or you emily we're gonna automatically you know um make assumptions based on uh what we see right and you know and it, it and that and we all have um, inbred biases that have come from our socialization and we're there's so many things you know and that experiment was brilliant in that what happened after that the orchestras implemented that particular strategy so that then it was a blind audition so nobody could make preconceived decisions prior to the maestro kind of going up there and you know doing his or her thing they just was not able to see uh, the gender, you know, the gender of the individual. And now it's something that's done uh, globally with maestros. So that's an example of, of a, I'm going to say a systemic shift that, you know, allowed people to recognize it's about, you know, who's the best person um, with the skill to fit that position versus all these kind of inherent things, steps that we go through. Um, before we kind of get to the point where we get in front of that individual. And it was, I found that very, very powerful. Um, I believe it was um, his, for one of his first books that that particular experiment was in. Yeah, that's, that's great. And so let's tie that back to language, right? It's, it's, um, it's an outcome. And, and so this is, again, why I'm talking about language is because it's something that's accessible to everybody. That's a great experiment. But some people will say, well, I'm not a leader or I don't have a budget or I don't make the policy, you know, and that's why language is such a powerful thing. Again, going back to the call to action for the men in our lives, 
what if you start with your words, you know, and by changing your words, you hopefully are changing your thoughts. I mean, usually the thoughts come first and then the words. And so if you're changing, if you notice the words, then that kind of works backwards to change the thoughts and then forwards to change the words and then the actions. Right. So um, if we, if we change our words, then that becomes a signal to other people as well. And that's, you know, what you're talking about with the maestros. We say the conductor, maybe instead of the maestro, right? It's a little mm -hmm. bit more uh, gender neutral word, perhaps. And, you know, I think it's really fun to figure out what are the words we can use instead. So uh, I said in my talk, you know, most of the time you can just drop the word guys. We, we think we need a word to fill in there. Most times you just don't need it. Um, you don't need a word at all. But if you do need a word, <laughs> and I ran out of time, you know, a TED talk has to be maximum 18 minutes. I have so much more to say about this, the kinds <laughs> of words you could use instead, the ways you can be creative um, in terms of referring to people as a group by where they're from or what job they're doing, you know, hey, podcasters or, you know, something like that. Um, there are lots of lots of fun things we can do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's great to start with the words and it's a signal to everybody around you that you really are thinking about it. Um, and this concept didn't come to me accidentally, you know, Roxanne, it's, uh, my husband is an engineer as well. And um, for, gosh, we've been together 20 years anyway. And uh, I've been correcting him for a long time. Anytime there was a, a generic, um, like anytime he was referring to somebody who was not physically present, like, you know, the, the delivery guy, the whatever, the landscape guy or something, you know, well, are you sure it's a guy? I would always ask him this, like anytime it happened, uh, did you see the person? <laughs> Do you know for sure? Um, so this is a neat way to kind of disrupt people's thinking without being, you know, too critical because uh, you don't want. I like to do it as an invitation, right? And that's, I don't want to go around shooting on people. I like to do it as an invitation. So, so, you know, adding a little humor, asking people, well, are, are you sure that was really a guy? Then it kind of works. This was such a great interview that we decided to turn it into a two-part series. Be sure to tune in next week for part two, so you don't miss out on the amazing content. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.